Bibles uh, open yet, open them up to the book of Proverbs. You can start in chapter 10, but we are going to do a lot of jumping today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, as Monica said, you can use the seatback Bible around you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that, keep that. We love giving Bibles away, so please go ahead and keep that. Uh, as you're turning there, I'd like to thank a couple people who uh, don't get thanked enough um, and they do a lot for this church. They come early every Sunday to make sure that the coffee is piping hot. And that's Renate and Christine. Um, both come early every Sunday to make coffee, to set out pastries, to just uh, show us the love of Christ through caffeine. So um, thank you both very much for every- Yeah. Yeah. Anyone deserves a round of applause. It's the ladies who make coffee. Thank you so much for everything you guys do. Um, so this morning... Uh, we, we've been in this series throughout the summer looking at what does Proverbs have to say about our lives? What does the book of wisdom have to say about our lives? Wisdom, we said a, lo- a couple weeks back, um, was the skill for right living, right? It's one thing to have knowledge, to, to know things, but to be able to actually put that knowledge into right uh, circumstances, to be able to use it at the right time in the right way, that's wisdom. And so this morning, we've been looking at different topics throughout Proverbs, what it has to say with wisdom. This morning, we're going to talk about wisdom and money. Wisdom and our finances. Now, I'm going to just be up front with you. This is not going to be a top 10 tips on how to better spend your money or how to be wise with your money. That's a different sermon for a different day. Um, There are a few practical points in this sermon, but ultimately what I want us to do this morning is to focus and think about and dwell on what are our hearts? How do we view money in our hearts? What is the relationship between our hearts and money? Because honestly, it doesn't matter. If you, I can give you all the tips and tricks that you want. You can have all the knowledge about how to best spend your money that you want. But if you have a warped view of money, if your heart is corrupt towards money, it won't matter how much knowledge you have. So where's your heart in regards to money? All of the currency that we have, all of it has this four-letter, four-word phrase on it. It says, in God we trust. All of the dollar bills, all of it says, doesn't matter if it's a dollar, if it's a hundred, if it's a ten. It says, in God we trust. I think that's kind of ironic. Because in reality, most of us default our thinking to trusting in the currency rather than God. Proverbs has a lot to say about money and finances. Over a hundred verses in the book of Proverbs have to do with money. And so we're going to jump around a bunch and cover a lot of these to see what Proverbs has to say. What is wisdom in regards to how we view our money? What to do with it and what to avoid? So that's kind of the plan this morning. What, how do we view our money? What are we supposed to do with it? And how, what are we to avoid this morning? And so uh, I'm going to pray and then we can jump in to Proverbs. So please buy your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, God, for another day to come and worship you. God, we gather today to celebrate and to rejoice and to be equipped and to be challenged by you so that we can go into this world and be the light of the world that you have called us to be. So, God, we're seeking you this morning. We're coming in expecting to encounter you this morning, Lord. So I pray, God, that you reveal yourself to us. God, speak to us this morning as we look at your word, as we look at what scripture has to say about money and finances. Help us uh, to better understand how it is you want us to view our finances, how to have wisdom towards these things. God, let nothing come from my lips that isn't from you. I pray, I pray this morning, God, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So let's talk about what money, what Proverbs has to say about money. In general, 
I think when we think about the Bible and we think about money, what we tend to go to is 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. That's usually how we view it, and I think that's kind of the umbrella that we put. The Bible is going to say, money, bad. But in actuality, Proverbs doesn't treat money as a bad thing or an evil thing. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Proverbs 22.4 says, True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. See, in both of these verses, there are two things that stick out. One, money is a blessing. Money is a good thing. Money is a provision from God. It's a positive. And as I said, it's from the Lord. Not only is money a blessing in Scripture, but it's from the Lord. Your money, your wealth, your riches, however you want to phrase it, is not actually yours. It is the Lord's. It is his because he made all things. He is in control of all things, and so all things belong to him. They are a gift and a blessing from him who controls all things. Now, what Proverbs is going to say throughout this book when it comes to money, the the general idea that Proverbs is going to communicate is that if you work hard, that will result in money. You will be compensated for your hard work. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12.11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. In general, if you work hard, it's going to lead toward money. It's going to lead toward you being compensated for that hard work. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Wisdom and hard work are going to be connected over and over again throughout the book of Proverbs. 13.11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Generally speaking, again, it is through consistent hard work that riches are acquired. Yeah, one day you might be walking down the street and trip over a giant bag of money with a dollar sign on it, but in general, that's probably not going to happen. What Proverbs says is that if you want to get ahead, if you want to acquire wealth, it's not this get-rich-quick scheme kind of thing. It's little by little you will acquire it. Work hard, little by little, save, have a plan, as we're going to talk about, and you will acquire it. What all of these verses have to say is that if you are unwilling to, if you are unwilling to work, or you are working just to get rich, this get-rich-quick scheme idea, it's not going to pan out. You will find poverty and not wealth. If you are unwilling to work and work hard, if you are just looking for that one quick get-rich scheme that you can just bail on everything else, you will find poverty and not wealth. Some of you might say, you know what, Tim? I've been working, and I've been working hard, and I'm still barely getting by. So what gives? Because Scripture just told me if I work hard, I will acquire riches. So where's the impasse there? This is what we talked about at the beginning. This is why I wanted to cover this topic, because we need to get to our hearts when it comes to money and finances. Because let's put this into context, right? Globally speaking, regardless of where your bank account is, globally speaking, you have more than what many, many have. There are thousands upon thousands of people all over the world who don't have a percent to live on what you do. And I don't even have to know your bank accounts to know that because everybody came in here with shoes on and it looks like everybody's got a shirt on. Like that in itself puts you in an echelon that there are people in other parts of the world will never touch. Right? Globally speaking, even if you are in that place where you are barely scraping by paycheck to paycheck, 
if you put this in the context of everybody, you are still well ahead of the curve. When our hearts view money without godly wisdom, when we focus just on ourselves, when we make it all about us, on what we don't have, we ignore the reality of the world that we're living in, the world that God has placed us in. And so what we need to do is be seeking the wisdom of God. That's why we're in this book. And so when it comes to our finances, we need to be seeking the wisdom of God to figure out what is it that we're supposed to do and not do with our money. And both are very clear throughout Scripture and in Proverbs. The first thing is really to be honoring God with our finances and be generous. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now hear me say, as we talk about money, when we have money in church, we start mixing those things together, this is not a prosperity gospel kind of thing. This is not, God is a slot machine. If I do A, B, and C, if I put those things into God, God's going to bless me and he's going to give me all of these riches. That's not the message you're going to hear. This is not a prosperity gospel. It's not if God's going to give me stuff, then I can finally afford that jet ski that I've been wanting. You can't manipulate God with your finances. It's his anyway. You're trying to manipulate him with something that already belongs to him. That's not going to work. What we see here in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, this is talking about your heart. Because right at the top, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor means to glorify, to worship. Worship the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The choice, the beginning, the top, the first portion. What this is saying is that the first line item of your budget is what's going back to God. What's going back to Him? And again, I understand, pastor of a church talking about money. Yeah, we're going to talk about giving to church. You can give to church, and you should, especially if you're a member, if this is your home church, yes, give and support the local church. But even beyond that, we're talking about giving to missionaries, giving to parachurch ministries, giving to other, and there are other ways to honor God with your finances that aren't just giving it to church. Yes, you should give to your local church, amen, but it goes beyond that. It's bigger than that. This is about the heart. This is about what are we doing with our finances. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Worship him with your wealth. Because there's a difference between giving to God out of worship to honor him and giving to try and manipulate or impress or turn God into this weird slot machine where if I give him so much, he'll give me so much more in return. Because you can give the same. Two different people can give, but if they give, it's about the heart, right? You can give the same amount. One guy can give way more, but if your heart is warped, then that's not worship. That's not honoring the Lord with your money. The key is to honor and worship God with our wealth and with our lives. Because it goes beyond just what are we putting into the offering plate. Luke eleven forty two. Jesus is speaking. And he says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, to the, the rulers of the synagogues, the people who literally have the Bible memorized. He says, you guys take this tithing thing and you're tithing on the herbs in your garden. But you don't sow justice. You don't show love and compassion. You think that you are following all these rules and impressing God, but you are missing the point because your life is not a life that is honoring God. 
It's not enough to just worship God with our finances. It has to go beyond that. It has to be about our heart. What is our heart? How do we view this world? How are we engaging with this world? Are we showing the love of Christ to the world that we engage with? Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Obviously, this is figurative language, right? A lot of Proverbs is poems. Um, This is figurative language. God is never in debt to us, right? But what we see here, and what we know, is that God is faithful. So whether it's dollar for dollar here, or repaying you in some other kind of way that has nothing to do with money at all, or there's some kind of repayment in eternity, what Scripture is saying here is that when we are generous people, God sees that, God does not forget that, and He will remember that and pay it back in some way. But as we talked about, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, Right, if you look at descriptions of heaven, it talks about the streets of gold. So currency in God's world versus ours, there's a discrepancy there. Right? We're walking on gold in heaven. It's not quite the same value as it is here on earth. But God says, I will repay. I am paying attention. I know when you are generous, and I got you. Once again, what is your heart? Are you being generous out of worship? Proverbs 22.9, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. I love that phrase, bountiful eye. Some of your translations might say generous eye, but I like bountiful. It's a generous way of looking at the world. Your eyes are generous. You are constantly seeing seeing things through the lens of, can I be generous in this moment? I'm actively looking for ways to be generous. And what scripture says is that person is blessed. That person is blessed by God. When you have that lens, when you're looking through that lens of, I'm looking for ways to be generous. Not if it just happens to be, not if the church just happens to be giving a, doing a giving campaign. But I'm actively seeking out ways in which I can be generous in the world around me. Generosity is a way for us to be a light in this world that points people back to God. By being good stewards, by acting with our finances the way God acts, God is generous. He has been generous throughout history. He was generous in sending his son Jesus to die for us. Our God is a generous God. And so when we are generous, we are in doing in a very small way, pointing people, reflecting a characteristic of God to the world around us. Pointing people to him. By being good stewards of what he has given to us, we are able to show people our God is generous himself. You hear that word stewardship a lot in church. It's one of those church words that gets thrown around. A steward is basically someone entrusts you with their finances, entrusts you with their land, whatever, and you run it in the same way that person did. God controls everything. God has everything. He has given to us money. He has given to us power. He has given to us influence. The things we have are God's anyway. We are to be good stewards. We are to use those things in the same way that God would use them. God is generous, thus we should be generous. So are you worshiping God with your finances? Are you being generous? Are you being a good steward of what God has entrusted to you? And we don't do it to just get a bunch of money. If God does bless you financially, great. He can do that. It's his. But if he does do that, if he does bless you financially, he doesn't do it so that you can hoard it onto yourself. He does it so that you can continue to be generous. He blesses you so that you can continue to be a blessing to others. So how do I honor God? How do I be generous? How do I, if that's what scripture is telling me to do, how do we actually do that? 
Practically speaking, number one, get help with that. Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Get help. Ask for help from someone who seems to have their finances understood. I'm not saying you need to like go call up Bill Gates and be like, hey, Bill, can you meet me for coffee and give me some money tips? That's not what we're talking about. Someone who seems to have a good handle on how to control their finances, have a handle on their budget, ask them questions. Say, I just need some help. I need some guidance. I need some wisdom on this. Read a book. Use the Internet. There are resources all over the place. But step one is get some help. Get some instruction and some insight. Because that's what a wise person does. They seek after wisdom. They seek after wisdom in their finances. They seek after wisdom in places to grow in wisdom. So number one, get help. There are people willing to do that. There are resources available to you if you will take those steps. Number two, make a plan. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Make a plan. Have a plan, get it together, because if you are constantly just reacting to situations, you're never really knowing where your money is going and why, it's going to be a lot harder to save. It's going to be a lot harder to get out of debt. It's going to be a lot harder to be generous when you're constantly just paying bills and you don't really have a handle on your money. You need to have a budget. Have a plan. Again, get help on that. There are resources and tools, but have a plan and stick to it. Because just constantly reacting, you're never really quite undersure, quite sure of what you actually have. Make a plan. Now, some of you might hear this and you might say, okay, yeah, God calls me to be generous. I know that, but I can't be generous right now. Money is too tight right now. I'll be generous when I'm more secure. When I have enough money, then I'll be generous. That's a false hope. You've put your faith in your finances. The money that actually says in God we trust has become more important to you than the God who you're supposed to trust. Because if you actually trusted him, you'd live it out in the way where your finances are set up. But instead, this idea of I'll be generous when I'm more secure, when I'm more financially stable, means really you're living with your money as your rock, your fortress, your refuge. All those ways that the Bible describes God, that's how you actually see your money. When that is secure and stable, when that's the rock, then everything else is going to be fine in my life. That's the way you're living. This idea of I'll take care of it later. When I'm financially stable, then I'll be able to be generous. You have made that your rock and fortress. And that's a dangerous place to find, try, try and find stability. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to des desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. A key word in there is toil. Toil means to grow weary. To exhaust yourself. To physically and emotionally wear yourself out. Is this saying don't work for wealth? No. It says don't toil. Don't exhaust yourself. Don't... Put yourself into a negative place to try and earn wealth. Don't beat yourself up trying to earn wealth. Know when to rest. Know when to stop. Know when to have boundaries because wealth is temporary. It's here and then it's gone. It sprouts wings and it flies away. My dad used to say it burns a hole in a pocket. It's here and then it's gone. 
Yes, work hard. We are made to work, and you should work hard. But when every decision is driven by money, you have, beyond, you have gone beyond that call to work hard, and instead you have made too great a focus of the money that is temporary and fleeting. Now, I realize in saying that, I realize preaching on money, I'm not going to try and stand here and tell you that money doesn't matter, that it's not a part of our lives. We all know that. We all know that it has a big part of our lives. But how important we make it, how much it drives us, how much we depend on it and let it dictate our lives can reveal ultimately what we actually trust in. It can reveal ultimately where our trust and security is actually found. When we value money and the perceived security it can provide more than God. Proverbs 18, 10, and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. But the rich man, his strong city, his high walls are his wealth, but it's only in his mind. A rich man's wealth is a strong city and a high wall in his mind. It's not reality. The only true strong tower, the only true refuge is the name of the Lord, is God himself. Proverbs 11.4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. It isn't your money that's going to save you. There is only one transaction that matters on Judgment Day. It's the one Jesus performed on the cross. As it says in 2 Corinthians, He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That's the only transaction that matters in Judgment Day. Your bank account is not going to impress God. One day you will stand before the almighty creator of all existence and you trying to pull out your wallet is not going to do you any good. No, the gospel says, look, it doesn't matter what your bank account is. What matters is where you have put your faith, your trust, your hope. Where is your actual refuge? Where is your actual security found? Is it found in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is he your hope? Is he your trust? Is he your strong tower? Is he the one that you find refuge in? Is he the strong city with the high walls? Because on that day of judgment, it won't matter how much money you have in the bank account. All that will matter is where have you put your actual faith and trust? Have you put your faith, have you accepted and believed the fact that, yeah, you are a sinner and on your own, you are left to your own devices, you are deserving of the punishment that the Bible says we deserve because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God? Or have you put your faith and trust in Jesus, in this transaction that says, He who knew no sin became sin. The one who stood that day on the cross and took every sin, the punishment for every sin, from Adam and Eve back in the garden, all the way up to the cross, all the way to the sin you're going to commit next Thursday in traffic. Every sin on Him was laid. He took the punishment. He took the brunt. He took all of it. All of the wrath of God poured out on Christ so that we could inherit his righteousness, his perfection. And when he rose from the dead, he showed, look, I have the power over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Nothing can hold me back. Nothing can stop me. 
Sin can be forgiven. New life can be had. New identity can be had. And there is hope and there is grace to be found in the cross of Christ. That's the only transaction that matters on the day of judgment. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of Jesus Christ delivers from death. At the cross, Jesus purchased us out of slavery to sin. The slavery to sin that we naturally live in. He gave us his righteousness. He took on our sins so that we can stand before God and be counted as righteous, complete, and perfect without sin. Have you put your faith in Christ because your money cannot save you? Go to Proverbs 30 if you have your Bibles. I want to close with this passage in Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, verse 7. It says, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. This is the only prayer found in the book of Proverbs. Most of the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon. This actually, if you look at the verse 1 of chapter 30, it says, The words of Agur, son of Jakah, the oracle. This is written by a man named Agur, and that's as much as we know about him. He's the son of Jakar, or he's the son of Jekka, the oracle. But this is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs, which I think is interesting, and we should probably look at it. But note his prayer. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Agar says, keep me right in what is called the golden mean. There's the excessive riches and the excessive poverty. He says, I don't want either one. Keep me right here, right in the middle. He says, I don't, I don't want excessive riches because he didn't want to forget the Lord. And he doesn't want excessive poverty because he doesn't want to turn towards stealing. This is a man who knows his heart in relation to finances, in relation to money. He's a guy who knows himself. He's a guy who knows if God gives me too much money, I'm going to forget about him. I'll forget where that blessing came from, and I'll stop calling out. I'll get complacent. I'll stop calling to on his name. He won't become a priority in my life. He will be less of a priority if I'm too far into riches. Money can do that to us. It can convince us that we are safe. It can convince us that our safety or our trouble are aligned with our bank account. If the bank account is full, everything's great. If the bank account is low, everything's the worst. But even beyond money, just look at your life. Generally speaking, my own life, it's those times when things are great, when things are awesome all the time. It's those times that I find myself drifting from God. Ignoring that he's the one blessing my situation. Ignoring the one that he's the one keeping me in the sunlight. And so then what happens is I I ignore God. I, I take him for granted and I find myself in a pit. I find myself far from God because of myself, because of my own decisions. And I cry out to him and then he's there because he's good and gracious and loving and kind. And he restores me and everything's good and everything's great until I lose sight again and I fall back into a pit. And over and over the cycle goes. Agar says he doesn't want excessive money because he knows his heart. He knows 
the kind of person he is, he knows how he views money. He knows if he has an excessive amount, this idea of I'll be generous when I'm stable, that's not going to apply to him because he knows himself. But he also says he doesn't want to be struck with poverty. He doesn't want to be struck with the far end of poverty because so he isn't driven to steal and sin against the Lord because a lack of money can do that as well. It can make us impulsive and give, make us perform even dangerous situations. Agar prays instead, Lord, give me what I need. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. He asked God, God, just provide for me what I need right now, right here. He says, God, you know me. You know my situation. You know my life. You know the bills that need to get paid. You know the situation I am in. Give me what I need right here. God, take care of me. God, I want you. God, I need you. And if I have you, then I'm good because I know you will provide. His prayer sounds a lot like how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, doesn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. Take care of us today. Take care of what we need for today. Now, this doesn't go, this isn't say, don't make a plan, don't have a budget, because you need to have those things. But right here, give me what I need for today. God, provide for me today in the needs of today. Provide for those things. It's trusting on and depending on him in the moment today. This kind of prayer for daily provision, this is the kind of prayer that comes from a person who understands that wealth and money, while they have some value and they have some importance, the most important thing in this world is our relationship with God. And when that is the primary focus of our lives, when it's us pursuing Him above and beyond anything else, it's at that point we can pray and say, God, just take care of my needs. I'm good because I got you, so just take care of what I need for today. That's a challenging spot to get to. To be able to trust God like that. To be able to say, God, you can have all of me. You can have all of my life, including my finances. Not just some, not just part, but everything, including my finances. Regularly and consistently. God, you can have all of it. That's a hard spot to get to. And so regularly and consistently, we need to be evaluating, am I honoring Am I worshiping God with the way I spend my money? Not just with the money you put into the offering plate or send to a missionary, but how about your budget? How you budget, how you save, how you spend matters. Are you worshiping God with how you use your money? Are you worshiping God with how you use His money? Every time I come up here to preach, I always want you to be encouraged and find rest in who God is. I always want you to leave resting in and being encouraged by who God is, by his character. Because he is good and he is just and he is righteous and loving and holy and all of those things. And I always want you to leave here saying, I know who God is. He's good. He's for me and not against me. And days like today, topics like money... His character, who God is, should be the thing that causes us to reflect and be challenged 
and be convicted to look at our own lives and ask, are we actually living in a way that glorifies him? Are we actually living in a way in which we believe God is who he says he is, the Bible is what it says it is, his word? Are we actually doing that? How we use our money is one of the most tangible ways to see, do we actually trust in God? All the money in your pocket, all of the virtual money in your bank account, because who actually carries cash? It says, in God we trust. Simple question. Do you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. God, you're good, you're right, and you're holy. God, you're generous. You give and you give. You gave us life. You gave us this creation. You gave your son. You gave your son so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have new life. You show us your generosity every day. God, help us to be a generous people. God, give us that bountiful eye that way of seeing the world where we can be generous, and not just generous with our money, but generous with our lives, generous with the way we live. God, we want to honor you. We want to worship you with our finances. God, we want to honor you and worship you just with our lives because you deserve it, because you are good, because of who you are. God, help us, help us to respond to the truth in Scripture. Help us to see money not as a burden, not as this evil, wicked thing, but as a blessing from you, as a gift from you, and to use it, to use it to bring you glory and honor with every dollar, with every cent. To see ourselves not as owners of money, but stewards. Responsible to use our finances the way you would use your, your finances, because it is yours. God, for there are some here this morning where the topic of money and trying the idea of generosity and just money in general is, is stressful, it is exhausting, and it's, it's worrisome. God, remind us of who's in control. Remind us of that it's all of yours. For those who are struggling, for those who need help, give them the boldness to ask for help. Give them the, the wisdom to seek wisdom. Provide for them the resources so that they can get a better handle on it, Lord. Help us to love each other well and to serve one another in this way. God, we know all things come from you. We know the verses, you take care of the birds of the air, you take care of the grass, you take care of the flowers, you take care of all of these things, and you're not going to forget us. These things are important. Well, we might get distracted and think money is a trivial thing and it's, it's not worthy to bring to you, God. We know that you care about these things. God, we ask for your peace. We ask for the, the wisdom to trust you, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it looks hard and uncomfortable. Help us to trust you. Help us if we actually believe that you are who you say you are and the Bible is what it says it is. Help us to believe it and trust it and live it. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.